Gillette and Lopate at large, I'm Leonard Lopate. There are few building problems that our favorite masters of home repair, Alvin and Lawrence Hubel of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, don't know how to fix. And over the years, they've inspired many of our listeners who may be hesitant do-it-yourselfers to take repairs into their own hands. Alvin served as the household hints and safety editor with Family Circle magazine for over two decades. He was a regular on ABC TV's Good Morning America for five years and also on ABC's talk radio network for five years. And we've been doing shows together for 35 years now. Lawrence is the president and chief inspector of Accurate Building Inspectors, and he's been a regular on my shows for the past three decades. Since we continue to struggle to find ways to do things during what has become has begun to feel like a never-ending pandemic and the cold weather will soon be upon us, we have asked Alvin and Larry to suggest some of the things we can do to make the situation as safe as possible. Alvin and Larry Ubell join us now to offer their especially valuable expert advice during these uncertain times, and we invite you to join the discussion by calling us at 212 212- Two zero nine two eight seven seven. That's two one two two zero nine twenty eight seventy seven. Alvin and Larry, welcome back to our show. Ah, oh, thank hey, you how for you? inviting us. Okay, hey, well, you? I think this is important stuff to talk about. Uh, the The weather has been unseasonably warm for the past few days, but. A nasty weather is on its way. Are are the things we should be doing right now to prepare for what's to come? Well, I think I, that we have. I think that we have uh, a couple of things that we spoke about last time we were on about you know getting your heating equipment and uh, and uh, and forced air heating systems in order. But I think that now we're that we're getting closer to actual frost which will probably be at least a month. It will be probably be somewhere around a month away. It could be sooner. We've had snow on Thanksgiving here in New York in the past. It's time to start bringing in, if you have a home, bringing in hoses, making sure that your lawn sprinkler system has been blown out, if you have one of those, and just looking around your property to make sure things that are, that are affected negatively by cold weather are, are te- dealt with. And I think that's one of the, one of these uh, points that we should be uh, striving toward. Alvin, yeah, that also includes uh, uh, New York City and and uh, around town where they have terraces on their uh, on the buildings and they have uh, uh, resting chairs, pails, they have planters, they have mops, they have sometimes they hang clothes out there. And leaving that out on the, in the winter time is just uh, uh, could be dangerous because the wind can come off, knock them over the terrace, and come down onto the streets below. So you got to secure that kind of stuff that is around your house and exposed to the elements. Now for people who own their own homes, there's the constant problem this year of having to clear away leaves and and empty the the gutters and leaders. Is this something you can do on your own, or is this something that you have to hire a professional to do? It, it depends upon it depends upon how agile you happen to be. If you're not afraid of climbing ladders or stuff like that, and you are used to that kind of work, but generally speaking, if you're not up to it, uh, I would hire someone that does that. Especially, they have special vacuum cleaners. They have you know how to scrape it out. They, and also, most of the time, when you have gutters and leaders around your house, 
and they're leaking or they have, they're defective, the guy or the uh, tech, technician that cleans out the gutters and leaders will repair those kinds of things in ready for the next uh, spring and summer for regular rain drainage. I'm going to say that. Go ahead, I just want to say that as far as climbing on ladders, um, you know, there's a lot of precautions, but my rule of thumb is 12 or 13, if it's higher than 12 or 13 feet, then you're really required to get someone who's actually uh, professional at this. 12 or 13 feet is reasonable height that you can, if you can get to your gutters and leaders, and 12 or 13 feet, I don't mean to make light of this, but falling from you know, uh, a 12 or 13 foot ladder means that your feet are somewhere around nine or 10 feet off the ground. You would get hurt, but you wouldn't, I, I would feel that there would be a safer distance. Once you get to the 20 feet range, which is a two story building, you're looking at a situation where the ladders should be uh, tied off so they don't move, where you should have some sort of safety harness on. So once you get above that 12 to 13 feet extension ladder, range, I would probably hire someone to do it, or at the very least, if you feel agile, to at least have someone helping you and tying off the ladder and wearing safety harnesses, because like like seat belts in your cars, you don't really care about them until you really care about them. And so the same thing with this. You need to look at what is the worst case scenario and how could this go very badly. And so that's my uh, advice to you. 12 or 13 feet ladder, good. Anything above that, you need to take precautions or hire a professional. Now, there's yeah. already uh, been go, – go ahead, uh, Al. Yeah, but there's also – but uh, you're coming into the winter. Right now is the time to, uh, to go to the store and get uh, a supply of, say, some calcium chloride or salt or, and make sure that you have shovels that are ready, that are, that are cleaned up and ready to go. Uh, in, in having a snow shovel – What's good to do is if you have some WD-40 and you spray the bottom, spray the, the shovel on both sides, uh, when the winter comes and it's uh, time to shovel, you'll find that the snow will slide right off that shovel. And these are good things to do before you start shoveling. Uh, but in prep, preparing is really the way to do it. If you don't prepare, you're preparing for trouble. So you've got to be prepared for what comes this winter. And uh, some of the things that you uh, that we might buy, like calcium chloride, are isn't that an irritant? Well, yes, the, the calcium chloride is uh, is an irritant. You just don't, you shouldn't put wet hands into it. Uh, you're just supposed to sprinkle it out of the bag or the box and uh, shovel it around. But don't let it contact your with your skin because uh, if you have sensitive skin, you will have uh, acquire, get blisters, or you'll uh, have to wind up at uh, in the hospital or a, or a doctor's office. So and just also, be careful you, with these. You got to read the instructions on the boxes and the bags. And also, if you have pets, you want to take precautions with that, specifically dogs. Um, if you are, but even if you're walking your dog around the city anyway. You should put uh, booties on them to protect their paws. They're very sensitive, and, and that's something that we should all be aware about. But I'm sure most dog owners and pet owners are aware of that particular issue. Yeah, you, you got to realize that a, do, that a dog or, or even a cat and everything else, they're barefooted. <laughs> so you got to give them something to protect them from the elements. 
Now, you've recommended in the past that we have our radiators cleaned and vacuumed. How do you do that? Well, it depends upon what kind of radiator you have. Uh, if you have baseboard radiators, uh, they just have to be cleaned out with a vacuum cleaner or something like that to get the dust out of them. But if you have a cast iron radiator next to an exterior wall, if you have a rad radiator that's on an interior wall, you just have to clean around it a little bit and get some dust out. But a radiator on an exterior wall, if you uh, could paint the wall behind the radiator or put some aluminum foil at that, you may increase the, uh, hmm. the, the heat that comes wow. out of that radiator to go into your room and you'll warm up the room a little bit faster. So, but, but it, gonna, it, it shows, doesn't it? I mean, you're, you're going to wind up seeing that aluminum foil. Well, if you're going for decorating, uh, decorating uh, advice, my father is not the person for that. <laughs> so, uh, you're, you're, you're right. That it, it will true. be hide it will be hideously ugly. Uh, that On the other hand, it works. And uh, yeah, it works. It you put some. It will work. It will reflect the heat back into it. But that being said, most people who live in apartment buildings in New York. Are usually don't suffer from not enough heat. Uh, it's usually the converse. It's usually too much heat. And so that is one of the issues in New York in general. And we have just found out that, you know, now that we're living through a pandemic, most of these pre-war buildings that many people complain about overheating and who have their windows open all winter long, uh, the joke around the rest of the country is, what's a New York City thermostat? It's a window. And what we find out now from uh, some research that's been done that this uh, issue is actually by design because many of these buildings were built after the pandemic of 1918. And they felt that a better way to keep people healthy was to overheat the buildings and keep the windows open to let all the germs out. And there's a certain validity to that, as we're finding out now with the way we're dealing with the pandemic of 2020. Um, I think that uh, that being the case, that as far as more heat is an issue, where heat efficiency and uh, probably insufficient heat has to do with more of the smaller buildings, whether it's a single family, a two family or three or four family building, which is not really heated the same way. And in those buildings, you may have to do things like clean the radiators to get more heat efficiency out of them. Also, it's, it should be known that the uh, baseboard radiators, when they don't have their covers on them, do not work as efficiently. They, they need their covers to work so they can draw some air in through the bottom and, and, and have it convect out the top of the baseboard. And also, if the bottom of the radiator is, is blocked by carpeting or other belongings, it also won't work very efficiently. So uh, that is one thing. But also on those baseboards are louvers are movable louvers at the top to open and close to either stifle the heat if there's too much heat in the room or open them fully to let the heat through. So they act as a little damper, and they're, they're actually very effective. So covers need to be on, the louvers work, and you need to keep them clean. And like Leonard, you were asking, vacuum cleaners with the long nozzle, that works very well. But are you also suggesting that we shouldn't worry about keeping our our windows and doors airtight? Well, it depends well, on the kind of home you're in. If you're in a building where it's too much heat, what else are you going to do? These pre-war buildings and large apartment buildings only really have 
for lack of a better word, I'm going to use a colloquial, a thermostat. It's not really a thermostat, but let's just call it that for the argue, for the for this conversation. So it depends on who's only, paying for the heat, actually. Who's paying for exactly, the fuel? Exactly. Exactly. Um, whether it's the uh, landlord or the co-op as a whole, but many of these buildings are overheated. Now, on the other hand, if it's you who's paying the heat, then you do want to keep it as efficient as possible and keep your windows closed. And if they're, if you have storm and screens, put them in the right positions. Um, if there's leakage around, maybe just uh, close them with tape to keep the air from whistling through the window. But uh, as far as that, if you're, if you're paying your own heating bills, you're probably already doing that. My guests are Alvin and Lawrence Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn. And we are inviting your calls here on London Low Paid at Lunch on WBAI New York 99.5 FM at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And let's take a call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello, yeah, Al Lowry and Leonard, the three wise men. Um, let me, <laughs> let me ask you a question. I have a one-family home in Brooklyn, and it's solid brick, and it's attached on both sides. I decided to stay with oil heat, and my heating unit, the furnace, the burner, it's almost brand new. So it's very, very efficient. It uses a coil, not a hot water tank, and I insulated all the windows. Now, to supplement the heating, I've used some electric heaters. Uh, the electric heaters can't do it by themselves. But I used, I thank God, I use such little oil, and now I have HEAP, Home Energy Assistance, but I use such little oil, really. It's so efficient. The oil company mm -hmm. said years ago, we're not going to give you a service contract because we think you may be buying oil from someone else cheaper and using us for service. But I convinced them everything is okay and to keep me as a customer. But what I, see, the thing is, is, I have to pay for my own service. They won't give me a service contract. Now, uh -huh. I've, gone down, I've gone down to Lowe's. And I know sometimes you have to change that oil filter. At Lowe's, mm -hmm. they do sell the oil filters, but it says, don't do this yourself. Get, a, get an expert technician. What do you say? Is it possible? Could I change the oil filter myself? Is, is this the filter that is about the size of your hand? Yeah, it looks something like an oil filter of a car. You know, it's like this, this round container yeah. where the oil line is, and you can unscrew it. And, every, and it's like this poly, It's like this. Uh, polyester, nylon, white thing. It looks like an oil filter yeah. of a car. Yeah, I think but, con I th you know, Okay, go, Alvin. But, yeah, but some of those, you've got to be very careful with that. Sometimes uh, you have to understand that you have an oil tank and, and you have a backup flow. So on both sides of that filter or something on that filter that enables you to close off the, the uh, valve on both sides of the filter, so that when you take out the old filter, you don't have oil all over the floor or wherever it happens to be, so that you can put in a new filter inside and put it all back together again and then open up the valve to let the oil flow through. So you have to really have a procedure. What would be a good idea that the oil company, one time, they can come over and change the filter, but you have to be there with that uh, person that's changing the filter to see the procedure that they follow to change that filter and that you get the exact uh, operating filter number because there are many different kinds depending upon the kind of unit you happen to have. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I'm, yeah. well, I, 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 I want to interject a little. Can I interject? Um, sure. My Go thing, ahead. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little bit more uh, 
go in and do it. Uh, as far as getting, you know, you just, if you have to find, there probably is an isolation valve on, on, the, up, on the upstream side of the filter, the side going toward the oil tank. And if you shut that off, I think that will take care of that problem. And then you can take off the filter and, if, and obviously put some kind of drip pan underneath where you're taking the oil filter out. But it is going to be a mess. Wear gloves also, by the way. And yeah, can I just ask, take, me ask you, I, I see there's a valve. I watch them every year when they do the annual cleanup. Yeah. But I didn't, I watched them, but I didn't see, uh, I, I didn't see that d- detail. I didn't pay that close attention to the detail. I do see the valve where it yeah. goes from the oil tank, and then it, before it gets to the burner, before it gets to the filter, there's a shutoff valve there. I can yeah. see the little la- the valve. Uh, but yeah, again, see the uh, the number on the uh, on the canister on the metal on the burner. It's the uh-huh. serial number. It's like it's hard to read it. It's facing the boy the burner. It's, it's kind of hard to read it. And I do see the special numbers though. So I'm still wondering if I should take a chance or if I might make a make a disaster. Well, here's, here's my advice to you. If you're going to do it, which we do encourage people to do their own home repairs, it's not against the law. You're allowed to do your own home repairs. Do it on a day when it's warm out. That way, if you mess up, you can always call them up to fix it. Very good. But Thanks. The other, thing, the other thing you can do is take a picture of the valve and the mechanism over there, and when you bring it into, say, Home Depot or some oil company that has those filters, they will be able to match it up. And even the filter companies have usually a procedure instruction in the filter replacement diagram. Okay. okay. I think. Okay, it's still a little complicated, but that's a good start. Thanks so much. And thank you. I, I don't and know if luck. we have any more calls coming in, but should I ask? BAI, you're on the air. Not yet. Okay, not yet. <laughs> uh, we uh, we use water heaters all year round. Do they need to be adjusted for the, the coming cold weather? Not really. The, a water heater really has its own thermostat. And in most instances, it's usually a gas-fired unit that has its own ignition. It has everything built into it so that it works properly. If it's an electric water heater, that is also uh, self-contained and doesn't need to be cleaned or repaired. The only thing that happens once in a while with the electric water heaters is that the element uh, or the thermostat itself becomes disruptive and you have to call in someone to replace it or readjust it but i am going to say that uh water heaters do need somewhat periodic maintenance um there is a a drain off thicket at the bottom of the water heater so what you would do is you would shut off the water feeding into the uh into the water heater and then you would open up that you'd put a hose on that because it usually has a hose bib uh, usually it's a male hose and you screw on a short piece of hose into a bucket and you open that up. I do recommend, again, wearing gloves, particularly dishwashing gloves of some thickness because the water coming out of the water heater is hot. And so you do need to pay, open that up, let about a gallon or two of water come out. If there's sediment at the bottom, that will come out and be dirty and it will fill into the bucket. But one thing uh, that you should do is before you start using the water heater again is the water from the water heater is let it settle and get and some of the sediment back to the bottom. Remember, the water heater takes the water off from the top. 
Uh, it doesn't take the water from the bottom, so mm. that sediment stays there. In addition, that sediment also acts as an insulating factor for the bottom of the water heater, so it will actually cause the uh, water heater to be less efficient. And the third thing is that if you ever hear the water heater pinging, it means that that settlement uh, layer is very thick and the water is boiling below the sediment and causing it to boil, and that pinging is the water boiling, which tells me that you've probably put off that uh, maintenance for, for quite some time. Where does the segment come, sediment come from? Uh, the, yeah, well, the sediment water. is actually in the water itself. Oh, it's just the, I mean, no, no, supposedly clean water that we get into our homes. Yeah, there's have always a sediment in it. Sediment that comes in from the reservoirs, uh, but it's very slight. But over time, it, mm. it does build up uh, because wow. if you figure it out, it's, it, there are hundreds and hundreds of gallons of water goes through that unit. You take showers with it. You run your washing machines with it. You do uh, dishes. You wash your hands. You cook with it and everything else. And all that water has some sediment that gets on the bottom of those uh, water heaters. Oh, so that's why I I filter my drinking water, I guess. I Um, mean, Leonard, you've never seen a pebble in a glass of water? (laughs) <laughs> but, I, I mean, it happens all the time. But I'm also going to say one other thing is that another place the sediment comes from, and here we're going to get a, a little bit of inside baseball, is that inside the water heater is a thing called a sacrificial anode. And that sacrificial anode is made of magnesium. And the reason it's there is because water heaters are made out of steel. And the steel is very prone to corrosion. But what happens is if you put the magnesium in, the oxygen wants to go to, ma- to the magnesium before it goes to the steel. It's more attracted to the magnesium. So the magnesium anode, which goes from the top of the water heater to the bottom of the water heater, attracts all the oxygen, and it deteriorates over time. And that deterioration uh-huh. of the anode ends up at the bottom of the water heater also. So that's another source of that sediment. We uh, have some other people calling in. Again, a reminder, uh, the the number 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Yeah, hi. Hi. You're on the Uh, air. Thanks so much. I love the Bluebells. So we have... It's U-Bells, by the way. U-B-E-L-L. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was thinking Leonard and kind of conflating the L and the U. So we have an um, older home, 1926, and we heat with natural gas. And the last time we had the chimney cleaned was Hurricane Sandy. And we've Ooh. only used it for a wood-burning episode maybe once. But I'm very um, concerned about having some alternate heating supply this winter because we get a great number of long power outages here, and um, mm-hmm. I wanted your thoughts on how frequently you should get your chimney cleaned if you're a natural gas user, and um, just in general, what to look for when you're hiring a chimney sweep. And let's add to that, if you do use uh, a, uh, if you do have wood-burning fires, fireplaces, um, obviously you're going to need your chimney cleaned a lot more if you do, but uh, address it all, okay? Okay, so uh, the first thing is is that your, chim- your, fi- your chimney has two flues in it. 
One flue is for the fireplace, and one flue is for the gas uh, heating and domestic hot water appliances. That chimney is very rare that that's going to build up with any kind of significant uh, soot or, or buildup. That is highly unlikely. As far as the fireplace chimney is concerned, that will build up more. But you've said you've only used it once? Yeah, but I yeah. really am anticipating some long power outages. Yeah, but, but still, the once. But, but know, don't I you know how beautiful a wood-burning fire looks? <laughs> it is beautiful. It is beautiful. <laughs> and you've only done it once? <laughs> um, I hate to impose on people to lift firewood for me. <laughs> uh, I see. <laughs> well, so anyway, anybody, anybody that has a wood-burning fireplace anyway and is intended to use it, it is important to get rid of the ashes and make sure that the, uh, if you use it frequently, maybe once every four or five years you get a, a chimney sweep to go through that chimney, see if there's any cracks or, or the flue tile liner is, is not deteriorated. And also those people who use uh, wood-burning fireplaces. And what uh, the dangers that we find over the years and from the fire department is that there are some people that are that want to get ex excited fire very quickly, and they use uh, liquid uh, combustible, Ooh. like gasoline, kerosene, alcohol, as a kindling. Please, I'll tell everybody out there, do not use any liquid combustible Ooh. on any kind of fireplace. That but getting, should be just but stay you should, away from You should those. make sure that the damper is open. Yes, the damper, you should have a procedure that the damper should be the first thing that's open, um, and then you start a small fire and work your way up from there. But, but my question to answer the question that, my, my point to answer the question that she called in with is that if she's only used her fire, and, and when was the last time you had it inspected or examined by a chimney sweep? Well, that was the last time, and I think it's true. we're having a family disagreement on whether we need Hurricane Sandy. Done. How many years and ago? Hurricane Sandy. Yes. So that's that, that's, so that's, that's, 20, that's some years. <laughs> so uh, I just want to the side of safety. You know, we okay, should then, have it done. I'm gonna, okay, so then you should have it done because you know I don't think you do because you've only used it once, and it doesn't build up with dirt if you don't use it. But that being said. You should always call a, S, a CSIA certified chimney sweep. That stands for Chimney Safety Institute of America. This is a certification for chimney sweeps that they're, this is actually a real professional, and they don't, and they don't look like, uh, what's his name, Dick Van Dyke. But <laughs> this, is a, this is a real, this is a real uh, industry, and you should call up someone who, who is CSIA, CSIA certified, to have the chimney inspected. Like I said before, the, the flue for the, for the heating equipment, probably not a lot of buildup there. It's gas and gas tends to only produce carbon dioxide, which is the same, uh, same uh, gas that's in seltzer water. Um, as far as the, the fireplace is concerned, if you've only used it once, I can't imagine how much buildup you have. But if everyone's on the side of, of being cautious, definitely have it done. Should also yes. check for loose bricks on uh, because they, yes. there's cold and hot does have an impact on the lining of the of the chimney. Well, no, that, that's, uh, that's, that's not that's not really. True. No, yeah, okay, I'm wrong. No, we have a disagree. We have a disagreement here. Not really, because again, she hasn't been using it. 
Uh, no, I meant if you do yeah. use it. But Yeah, but for those people who use it, a wood-burning fireplace frequently, there is always the possibility that creosote builds up inside the food mm. liner, and that if it's very thick, sometimes you have a, a fire inside the flue, and that has to be prevented. So there's, oh, Alvin, uh, for those Alvin. people who use fireplaces frequently, they yeah, should have Alvin. their fireplaces checked once every, say, four, three, four, or five years. And you say we should keep a fire extinguisher near the fireplace. Uh, always have or at a least fire handy. extinguisher. Yes, that's, uh, absolutely. You never know that time. Maybe when using a fireplace, a spark may jump out of the fireplace, or say one of the uh, fire logs could accidentally low, uh, roll out if you don't have it uh, screened off properly, or something to that effect. So, we have to. So my, so my answer, so my thing is, is that is once every seven years frequently. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 think, I, mean, I think we're going to get it done. So thank you okay. so much for the certification info. I don't think you have time, but I didn't know if you had any thoughts on, um, I know they're quite expensive, on fireplace inserts, so you can really use your fireplace almost like a wood stove if you have a power outage. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there are companies. You can cook on it. Should, I don't have a brand that I would recommend, but do your research. And also make sure that your local municipality allows that. Okay. Thank you for calling. Uh, we're going to take you. a little break. We have more calls coming in. Our number is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. I'm Leonard Lopate. This is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Handyman. Anyway, uh, again, 212-209-2877 if you want to speak to Alvin and Lawrence Hubel uh, of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, New York, regulars on our show. We love taking your calls. Let's go to a call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for this program. Uh, two points. Uh, one, I just changed over this past December from oil to gas. Any special care in terms of the chimney? I used to have it cleaned out every three years. Number two, why do we not promote the tankless um, water heaters? Overseas, I use one in a four-bedroom house that has three bathrooms, and it works very well. Is there any reason why it's not promoted much here in the United States? Yeah, there is a good reason for that. Yeah, we blame Donald Trump. <laughs> well, you, that that could be part of it, but my reason is they're more expensive, they need more maintenance, and we in the United States we have more room, so we don't need to save the room that 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 water heater is required. So in houses where we need to save the room, I do see them in my regular home inspections. 
in buildings where you have full basements and you have all the room in the world, why put in something that's two to three times the cost and needs yearly maintenance? Oh, because the one that I have over there, um, I've had it for the last seven years. No problem whatsoever. Well, I'm going to so, say that uh, you are supposed to do yearly maintenance because car because mm -hmm. calcification starts to form on the heat exchanger. But let's let's not get into that, okay? Uh, but uh, okay. so uh, I did okay. change the one prior because there was like a corrosion happening on the outside, so I changed uh -huh. it. Yeah. But like I said, like the average price of a 50-gallon water heater just to purchase it is between anywhere between four and seven hundred dollars. The cost of a uh, of a tankless water heater that does the same job is between fifteen hundred and twenty five hundred dollars. Wow. Uh huh. So that's so that's why. Um, uh, that's the uh -huh. main reason. And we and we have all the most houses have the room to put them in as opposed to. And also, I'm going to say that here in the United States, we tend to do more central water heating production than they do in Europe, where in Europe each apartment has its own water heater, or each unit does, where here in a big apartment building they'll have one central plant for the whole building. And so it's that different mindset, that different mindset which dictates the individual uh, domestic hot water production. Uh, the, other question is, the other question is about the gas uh, chimney cleaning. Like I said before, gas chimneys tend if you had a chimney cleaning done three years ago before you yeah. converted you should be good for another at least at least five to ten years before you need your next one okay okay all right then thank you very much this was extremely informative i couldn't say enough for this course no thank problem. you so much for your call but if, if you, you have a wood-burning fireplace how regularly should you have it checked out the, the chimney if if Alvin, that, that should be every three to four years. Okay. Well, should we take it? I'm going to actually be on the more I'm going to actually be on the more conservative side of that. If you use your fireplace regularly during the season, I mean, if you're burning a lot of wood through there, uh -huh. you're going through cords of wood all the time. I would say every season because ah. buildup can happen, and you don't also don't, and also the the hardness or softness of the wood can be very inconsistent, and so more creosote can build up. But if you're using it once every seven years, like our previous caller, I don't really think you need to have it done that often. Well, I'm going to take the in-between position and say every two years. But okay. uh, <laughs> let's take another call. 212-209-2877. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, that's probably me. Yes, right? it's you. Yes. Okay. Um, well, this has deep resonance for me because uh, just recently – I had the following situation. Uh, the subcontractor, we'll call it, for the gas utility is called HomeServe, in my case. And mm -hmm. they're like kind of an inspection outfit, but also they recondition or uh, replace whatever parts are necessary on the furnace every year. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, as you can tell, it's a gas unit. And um, we had a... Uh, kind of a, uh, a legacy contractor <clears throat> that um, <clears throat> jammed the, the new flue lining down from the top. <clears throat> but being in a four-story house, he only got midway through the very top floor <clears throat> uh -huh. and stopped. And uh, so 
the flue lining, I think, turned out to be stainless steel. But in any event, we had to have the whole shaft, the whole flue, replaced uh, with stainless steel on account of the fact that, uh, you know, that was recommended. Uh, mm-hmm. It was recommended by the home serve uh, mandated chimney sweep. So mm-hmm. we went along with uh, a pretty professional outfit, and uh, they didn't cause too much damage. They broke into the chimney in two places because what had happened over the years, <clears throat> as I mentioned, we had this uh, previous contractor. He put a, some sort of a guard for against squirrels or birds or whatever debris would come down on the roof. It's a, a tall a four-story brownstone-type building that I live in, and it protected anything from coming in after the fact. But yeah. the furnace being like 50 years old and the house being like 150 years old, uh, <laughs> and I don't know how how many times, if ever, it had been cleaned before we kind of took possession of, of uh, the house and put the furnace in. Uh, but anyway... Uh, there, there was such a buildup of stuff that mm-hmm. the first home serve uh, attendant came and he reconditioned the, the the furnace. We never had a problem with this. It's a wild McLean boiler from like 1968, and they okay. said to me, "Don't ever get rid of that. That's like golden. You know, the new well, ones are junkier." He, he said, "Yeah, the, the but, home um, serve." I have a question for you. What's yeah, go what's ahead. the what's the what's the question? <laughs> My question. Ah. Or, 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 or we just are we just sharing a bit of your thing, life experience? Here's one thing, uh, <laughs> that he told me. Here's, here's one thing that he told me. He said uh, the the second guy who came, I mentioned the first guy. He just yeah. reconditioned it and we thought it was good. The first guy left it as if, uh, as the other people in previous years had, and I thought I was good to go for the rest of the season. Turns out the first cold day we tried to send for heat, and it wasn't happening. So I put the furnace up, and it wasn't happening. Put put it all the way up, wasn't happening. So I called him back. Turns out the second guy was a little more clued in, or at least he showed me this. He took a, a match and held it up to the back of the furnace where the <clears throat> pipe goes up to the flue <clears throat> and he's the ducting pipe and he said you see this and all of a sudden the match went out that means that there's back uh, draft on gases mm-hmm. coming from from the flue and you got to have the flue clean that's how we knew to get this other oh, outfit okay. in. so uh so, so I you're telling to us that, that so you're telling people. us the chimney clean chimney cleanings are very important even for those where you only have, uh, you know, only have one purpose for that flu, which mm. is to yeah. uh, remove the effluent from the furnace. And we also yeah. have a hot water heater that's hooked up to the same juncture. Uh-huh. Well, so, thank you so much for your call. Anyway, I just wanted to say the hope that woman was listening. Advice was, uh, he said. Uh, you have carbon dioxide, which is what mm. uh, the the flame. But worse than that is carbon monoxide. Uh, yes. In fact, bad. right now, because uh, I do want to move on, a number yeah, of people have ahead. died from carbon monoxide because they have been keeping backup generators in their homes. 
Yeah. Now, why does that lead to carbon monoxide being uh, escaping? Well, well, before we go to that, I want to just say that when gas burners are burning properly, they are producing carbon dioxide. But when mm. they are when they are not burning properly, in other words, the, the, the gas flame is any other color but blue, whether it's yellow, orange, or what have you, then it's producing carbon monoxide. And it's very important to have carbon monoxide detectors in your house. Mm. My point was in the, in the explanation is that under normal conditions, the amount of buildup in a chimney is very low because of the normal operation. Now, as far as get backup generators producing carbon, di carbon monoxide in one's home, it's because they, they run on gasoline or kerosene or something like that which produces carbon monoxide as a normal function of their, of their operation and therefore should never be vented inside an enclosed space like a house. Um, that is very important, and, that, and, and to do anything other than having them run outside is very bad. Now, what a lot of people do is they run them inside their garages and close the garage. That's also not very smart. And so that also should not be done, and it should be outside, like your car. Your car should run outside, as should the generator. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, since you're mentioning cars, should car owners be doing I know you, you are, we mostly talk about home repair here, but should car owners be doing anything to prepare for the cold winter? Um, well, yes. Should be they checking their automobile fluids and things like that? Well, yes, especially uh, the the if you have uh, an internal combustion engine, you know, in other words, it's not an electric car, it's a gasoline-driven car, that uh, the water in the radiator that keeps the engine cool has to be checked before the winter that they have to use what is known as a hydrometer that checks the fluid inside the radiator to make sure that it doesn't freeze when the temperature goes down below the freezing le level. If the water in the radiator freezes, you can crack your engine. Also, uh, if you have been using regular water in your windows uh, cleaning fluid and use regu regular house uh, drinking water. You mean the, the windshield the, wiper? The windshield wipers. Yeah. That also has to be checked that it that it'll withstand the uh, low temperature of the winter because that can rupture the the, the uh, deposit uh, holder in the uh, under the hood there when it freezes. So those are the things that have to be checked. All you have to do is just take the car into any automobile place, and they have a hydrometer, and they take a little bit of water in it, and they check it out, and they'll say yes or no, and you'll add either antifreeze, or you may not have to add any antifreeze. Okay. And my guests are Alvin and Lawrence Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, New York. This is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. And we are taking your calls at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. I think we have another call. Do we? BAI, you're on the air. Hi, is that me? It's you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I could talk for a long time. I love you guys. 
Uh, well, don't talk for a long time. We only have a, a few more minutes left, but go ahead. Yeah. Alexa, I have an electric water heater that I put in 20 years ago, and I never knew you had to get the sediment out of the bottom. My question is, I, when I placed it, I put it under the tub in the bathroom. Does one ever replace the magnesium element, or do you just get a new water heater? Well, I'm going to tell you that's part of their planned obsolescence into the equipment. Uh, you can replace it. The problem is that getting it out is very difficult because they crush the threads when they put the, 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 uh, the anode into the water heater. If you ever look at the top of the water heater, it has that, that one blank nut that's at the top of the water heater. That's where the anode is. The other problem is the anode tends to be about four or five feet long. So to get it out, you hit the ceiling. Now, getting it out is the easy <laughs> part. Putting it in is the hard part. Now, they do make a, a, a foldable anode. I've seen that also. Ah. But by the time, yeah, which goes in by pieces, and then you can get it in. But I'm going to say the hardest part is to get the old anode out. And that may okay. not think, be possible. I can go up the wall behind the tub. So there might even, you know, there should be some space there. <laughs> yeah, but you also have to have someone else hold the water heater because if you put a big enough wrench on it, you'll you'll turn the water heater, oh, even geez. with it filled with water. Oh my, I didn't think of that. Wow. Yeah. Well, no, trust thank me, I've so I've seen people well, I've I seen people ruin a lot of stuff. Gonna... <laughs> 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 so okay. it is a possibility. It is a possibility. I mean, technically, you could get a water heater to last forever. Oh. And there used, and there used to be a company called Tregessa that made copper water heaters, and they lasted forever. They put themselves out of business. They lasted so long. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you so much for your call. Let's try to get another one in. Uh, our number, 212-209-2877. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hi. Yes, what's up? Oh, great, great. First of all, I give this show an A-plus for the information. Thank you. Well, well thank okay. you so much. Quick question. Um, I live in a brownstone in Harlem. The building was built in 1899. I have uh, some of the old uh, analog dial meters for the, for the electricity and the gas. Now, Con Edison wants to install the new smart meters which I'm kind of, like, uh, hesitant about having to install. I've been having this back and forth with Con Edison because they want to charge a $100 opt-out fee, and then they want to charge you an additional fee monthly if you don't have it. So I said to them, why do I have to pay extra for something I'm not getting? So I just wanted to know if you have any information about the new smart meters because I've been reading a lot of uh, information about people who have had them installed who now find that they're having a lot of detrimental health effects regarding the smart They're having what? Detrimental health effects, he said. Detrimental okay, health I haven't heard I haven't heard any of that, and I would also really want to uh, know the sources and if that information has been peer-evaluated and peer-judged. But as far as the smart meter is concerned, it's supposed to do two things. First of all, it enables them to read the meter without having to go to your house. That's the number one thing that it does. It reads the uh, meter readings over the electric lines so they don't have to send people out anymore, which is a money savings for them. 
That's why they're charging you the opt-out fee, because now they still have to send someone out to your house. But you can also send someone call in phone theory without Say that again? Your house. Say and that again? I'm sorry. You can call in your own meter readings without them coming to your house anyway. Not all the time. They still have to come at least once a year or maybe twice a year to verify the numbers. So yeah. that, be, that being said, as far as the secondary thing that it does is once the meter's in, eventually they're going to start having connections between modern appliances. So those appliances will be able to be shut down or not used during peak hours. And that's really what smart metering is about. They do that already in Europe where they will not allow you to use, let's say, an electric clothes dryer during the peak summer months when they need to use it for, for air conditioning. It's a way for the utility to not have to keep buying and making electricity at exorbitant amounts when only for, for peak time so they can reduce the usage during those periods. Um, as far as the health effects, I haven't really heard anything about that. And if you could, if you want to forward any of the information to uh, information online about the uh, ill health effects that they've been having, that people who have got them are really sorry that they've had them installed. Okay. Well, well, I'll look some of that stuff up, but I don't. I didn't really hear about that. Well, well how do people get in touch with you guys? Uh, they can. They can email me at Larry, L-A-R-R-Y at U-B-E-L-L dot com. L-A-R-R-Y at U-B-E-L-L dot com. Okay. Thank you so much for your call. I think we may be able to sneak one more call in, but make it very quick. B-A-I, you're on the air. Oh, hi. I think that's me. Thank you. I'll be yes. quick. Um, what a coincidence. My call is also about the smart meters. Please, um, there's a documentary. Uh, it's called Take Back Your Health, Your Power. And it's reputable. It's online on YouTube. You can get it for free now. And that uh, documentary uh, talks about the, all the horrible, deleterious effects of the smart meter. I myself am living through the nightmare. I'm trying to get my smart meter removed. And, uh, of course, they're telling me, no, you can't. And we're going to go ahead and do it. My question is, because we're out on the limb, if you had to, what recommendation in terms of shutting off the power, using what gloves, what would you recommend? Thank you. Okay. I'm not recommending any of that because I don't recommend people to do their own electrical work. Okay. It's just, it's just, uh, uh, it's just too dangerous unless you're used to doing that type of work. Where is your meter right now? Is it in the basement? Is it in your apartment? She's off the air. She's oh, off okay. the air. Then, okay. Then, never mind. Well, Let's go to the next person. Well, actually, we're kind of almost out of time, and I wanted to address one other thing because I know this is important to Al. Uh, but uh, you, you've uh, often talked about how stair accidents are second to automobile accidents. Uh, is that a, an issue for this time of year, or is that just an issue for all year round? It's a, an issue for all year round. Uh, what I, I what I do is I'm uh, do ex, I do expert testimony, and stairs is my my biggest uh, clients that come in that fell, fell down a flight of steps, and in most instances when somebody falls down a flight of steps, there's something wrong with the steps. Uh, and or they didn't repair them properly or they don't maintain them properly or they left debris on the stairs or there is leakage. There are all kinds of conditions. You have to really understand 
that when you climb up or go down a set of stairs, you're actually climbing up a mountain with uh, mm-hmm. with that with things sticking out. And if you fall down that flight of steps, you're going to be breaking up some bones and uh, or worse than that. So I'm telling and, you, and, and Alvin, we're we're out of time. But you also say that all stairs should have handrails, even if it's one or two st- steps. A, a stair without a handrail is an accident waiting to happen. That's a fact of life. There are well, many stairs that only have a handrail on one side. If you could have put handrails on both sides of all the stairs that are in your home or in your apartment or wherever it is, you will probably save somebody from a, a tragic accident. Or well, we have to leave it there, unfortunately, but... Uh, I look forward to your next visit to our show. It's always fun and informative. Alvin and Lawrence U. Bell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, New York. It's been a great pleasure. It's been a pleasure. pleasure Thank you for having us on. And that brings us to the end of today's show. If you're new to our program and would like to hear more, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes and anywhere else podcasts are available. And you can find links to our past shows, all of them, on our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you'd like to comment on any of our shows or if you just want to say hello, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off, I'd like to just take a few minutes to ask you to support this station. We are asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to step up right now and make a contribution at whatever level you're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 516-620-3602 right now to keep the unique in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Because WBAI relies 100% on listener donations so please give us that call. And one great way to support WBAI without having to plunk down a lot of money at any one time is to become a BAI buddy. Listeners who contribute $10 or more each month to keep WBAI running and to show their support for what we do on this show. So um, the important thing is to do it right now to keep listeners sponsored radio alive and well at the New York radio dial. But please be sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. Again, one more time, the number 516-620-3602 will go online to give to WBAI.org. And we hope that you'll join us again tomorrow when veterinarian Veterinary experts Dr. Megum E. Heron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlos Siracusa make a return visit to our show to take your calls about your cat's behavior. They were such a hit the first time they were here, we thought we might enjoy another round of everything that you ever wanted to know about your cat. We'll see you then.